everyone and welcome to Unorthodoxy. I'm Duncan Rayburn and as is my custom, I figured I'd do something that isn't my custom. I want to read uh, and then do a kind of exegesis of a fairy tale by the famous collector and writer of fairy tales, Hans Christian Andersen. The fairy tale in question is The Silver Shilling. I'm working from the translation of that fairy tale by Jean Hesholt. Maybe you're familiar with the fairy tale, but I only encountered it for the first time a few weeks ago. I've been reading fairy tales to my three-year-old daughter, and this one just stood out as having so many resonances with many things that I've been thinking about lately. And I thought, hey, I should share this. So that's what I'm going to do. Rather than read the whole fairy tale through uh, and then offer something of an explanation, I, I figured I'd read the fairy tale and then occasionally interrupt it with some ideas that were sparked for me. Obviously, uh, you're going to have other ideas sparked for you, which is great. That's what good stories do. They, they inspire imaginative uh, engagement. So, here we go. The tale of the silver shilling begins like this. There was once a shilling. It came out bright and shiny from the mint and sprang up, shouting, Hurrah! Now I'm going out into the world. And into the wide world he went. So that's the start, and it's such a great beginning to a story. There's this kind of picture of paradise, in a way, an Edenic state of pure creation. This coin, which is a metaphor for being, and more specifically for being human, finds himself in the world perfectly at harmony with itself, and, and pretty clear on the meaning of its existence, which I think is remarkable. In fact, when you look at the question of what the meaning of life is, the question is a bit like the question, what is the meaning of a coin? The primary meaning of a coin is its function. It's something to use in transactions, but it has other meanings too, obviously. It uh, reflects a posture towards exchange embraced by people in general, or how people ascribe value to things. It has an aesthetic meaning too, how the coin reflects how it was designed to fit within the aesthetics of culture. The meaning of the coin is how it relates to others and how others relate to it in a way. So by analogy, the question of the meaning of life is the question of the meaning of the life of a human being. What it is, what it's for, what makes it really great, what makes it worth living, how, how does it best fit into the order of the world? How does it fit into the cosmos, you know, the macro scheme of, of the universe? And then, of course, there's the question of how, how do people relate to their own humanity and, and how do they relate to the humanity of others? And then, of course, the question of how does all of this fit together? I love the fact that this coin is such a powerful metaphor for, for being human, even though it's, it's in a way obviously problematic to just assume that that's what, what it's doing. People are not money, obviously. So uh, the story continues. The child held it. Maybe I should explain something before I carry on. Um, so then it moves into what happens to the coin. The child held it with soft, tender hands. The miser clutched it with cold, clammy fingers. The old man turned it over many times before letting it go, while the youth immediately passed it along. So great here in that, just that line. And I'm not going to go line for line throughout this uh, podcast. I just want to pause here. It's such a great thing to talk, to look at how different people relate to different things, to themselves, to others. And of course, that's what the coin symbolizes here. The shilling was of silver and had very little copper in it. Already it had been in the world for a whole year, that is, in the country where it was made. But one day it started to travel to foreign lands. 
It was the last native coin in the purse that the traveling gentleman had with him. He himself did not know he had this coin until it happened to come between his fingers. So the idea here is great. It's this this traveler notices that he has this coin with him, which is not something that he realized he had. And so to, to look at the traveler's perspective, I think that's something that a lot of us can relate to. We don't always see what we have. And I think the largest sort of interpretive angle that I'm taking here is in terms of our, our relationship with ourselves. So we don't always realize who we are. And I think that's where some of the trouble with living comes from. And so this traveler says this, why here is a shilling from home that I have. I can take it on the trip with me. And the shilling rattled and jumped for joy as it was put back into the purse. So here it lay among foreign companions who came and went, each making a place for the next one. Only the shilling from home always stayed in the purse, which was a mark of distinction for the shilling. So there's also this idea that life is full of these transitions, these meetings, these arrivals and departures. And we are confronted with the fact that we're always in a space of transition. Um, I, I've just, if I look back on my life, I can almost be permanently astonished at how many people have come into my life and gone out of my life. I think of in the Middle Ages, I think the expectation was that you would know and meet only 100 people in your whole life. And that is very different from now. Um, I've lost count of how many people I've met. And it's certainly, it's well, it's in the thousands. So I think this is a, a very profound thing. So in, in continuing this idea of the, the shilling being a metaphor for the human being, it knows how it fits into the order of the world. But its being is tied up to the events that aren't exactly fully within its control. Um, and I guess that's what life is. None of us can be absolutely sure of how life is going to uh, project itself onto us. If life were personified, it kind of projects itself onto us. And we are all, in a sense, at the mercy of the world. Not completely at the mercy. It doesn't mean that our freedom is limited or as limited as it is for the shilling. But it is limited nonetheless. The freedom we have is to act in accordance with our true being, in accordance with who we are made to be. Or, I guess, part of that freedom in involves the freedom to choose to act against our being. In fact, that's, that's the real nature of freedom right here. Freedom is not primarily the negative freedom that we're brought up to accept um, as freedom. Negative freedom is freedom from. It's the freedom to, in a way, do whatever you want, uh, which is the freedom essentially to act against expectation and against reason and against, well, even life itself. But in the classical view, that's not really true freedom. Um, there are certain Ger German philosophers like um, Hegel and Schelling and Schiller who also um, would argue that freedom is not negative freedom. True freedom would have to be more something along the lines of finding a way to live in accordance with the truth of being itself. Freedom would mean becoming what we really are. True freedom, then, is freedom for. It's understood in terms of its point, its purpose or goal. But the world is, um, as a lot of theologians have argued, although sometimes badly and sometimes in a way that ontologizes evil, the world is fallen. What this means is that People and things often work against their own being towards something like decay and corruption. 
which the ancients would have called non-being. And I guess that's that's the choice that we're always ultimately faced with, to act in accordance with being or to act against being, against existence, towards non-being. So the story continues. Several weeks passed, and the shilling was far out in the world without knowing exactly where it was, although it did hear that the other coins were French or Italian. One said they were in a certain town, and another reported that they had reached another place, but the shilling hadn't any idea about it. Anyone who keeps his head in a bag can't see a thing, and that was the case with the shilling. Isn't that great? So well put, this idea that the shilling is in some sense very comfortable with its own being, very sure of what it's about, and it knows it has a place in the world, but it still doesn't really understand the world. But as it lay there, one day it noticed that the purse was not completely shut, so it sneaked forward to the opening to take a peek. It shouldn't have done that. But it was full of curiosity, and people often have to pay for that. It slipped out into the trouser pocket, and when the purse was taken out that night, the shilling remained behind and was taken with the clothes to the hall closet. There it dropped on the floor. No one heard it, and no one saw it. In a way here we have a, a metaphor of sort of dropping out of the order of, of life, out of the order of your own being, like stepping away from your own purpose and trying to act against it. This is kind of the, you know, the curiosity killed the cat. It's also got this idea of, of Adam and Eve tasting the forbidden fruit. There's, there's that sort of idea there. The next morning the clothes were returned to the room. The gentleman put them on and started on his journey again, but the shilling was left behind. It was found, required to do service again, and it was sent out with three other coins. It's an interesting thing to look about you in the world, thought the shilling, and to get to know different people and customs. What kind of coin is that? said someone at that very moment. That's not a genuine coin. It's a fake. It's no good. That's such a poignant question. What kind of coin is that? What kind of person is that? There you are, living your life, and someone comes along and makes a judgment about you. And that judgment can be something along the lines of, look at how fake that person is. Everyone is capable of deception, of course, and self-deception. And sure, we all are profoundly good at curating the truth about ourselves, the way we do on social media so easily. But I think this is not just a, you know, social media just exaggerates what is already present in the human consciousness. And I think of Jesus' accusing of the Pharisees for hypocrisy um, as being about this very thing. We are all hypocrites in some sense. The trouble is that most of the things that people think are hypocritical about us are probably not the things we're truly hypocritical about. There's always what you think about yourself and what others think about you. And then there is the, in a way, unmediated and unmediatable truth of who you really are, which you don't really ever get to have full access to. But at least one of the main points of life is to figure out who you are. Not just who you are now, of course, but who you are capable of becoming. Being is always about potential. It's about living towards something. And I think when people don't pay attention to their potential, I think they lose a, a profound aspect of their becoming and being in the world. And the point is you're capable of great things, but what great things exactly? That's, I guess, what you're 
here to find out. I, I don't mean here listening to this podcast, but here on earth <laughs> to find out. You're on earth trying to find heaven on earth. That's really what everyone is doing in whichever way uh, makes sense to them. But some people obviously do this better than others and with greater intentionality. And I think all of us would do really well to pay attention to those people, those people who are trying to live intentionally in a way that that uh, expands uh, their their view of, of being. I like what happens next in Anderson's telling of the story. He shifts perspective away from telling the story from the outside of, you know, outside as, as if from sort of third-person po point of view, and he starts to narrate the coin's actual perspective on all of this. He's already done this in bits, but then he, he really makes a shift. And in a way, this is a shift from objectivity that, to subjectivity, and I think it's, it's really brilliant. It's a shift that has to take place inside all of us. We have to stop seeing life from the outside, from the perspective of the big other or of, say, social media, Life is not just about what is performed for some ever-watching big brother or superego. It's something we live from the inside. And I would say that you can never really understand your life if you only ever look at it through other people's eyes or through some theory or, or through some ideology or religious framework. Those things can be tremendously helpful, but they can also be hindrances. The real truth of our existence is within us, not in some sort of hyper-egotistical sense, but in some sense that that we need to access the deepest parts of ourselves to be able to access the, the most universal parts of reality in a way. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is within. Not that we are the originators of this kingdom, of course, but that we are capable of accessing this kingdom only from the inside and I think this takes place through careful, prayerful attention to, to meaning itself, to, to the richest uh, possible sense of that meaning, which is always tied to the good, the true, and the beautiful, and the unified, um, the transcendentals that Plato and, and, say, the philosopher and theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar talk about. So here is how Anderson changes gears. Yes, now began the real history of the shilling as told by itself. That's, in a way, I mean, Anderson knew Kierkegaard, and so I think there's something about the, the mood of the time that filters into this. Um, Kierkegaard talks about truth becoming subjective, not losing objective reality. Obviously, that's just a form of stupidity, but but about really making it personal and, and recognizing the, the personal resonances of the ultimately real and the shilling says this, false, no good, those words really hurt me. I knew I was made of good silver and had a good ring and a genuine stamp on me. People were certainly mistaken. They could not mean me, but they did mean me. I was the one they called false and no good. I must get rid of that fellow in the dark, said the man I belonged to. So I was passed on at night and then chided in broad daylight. False, no good, we must hurry up and get rid of it. And the shilling trembled in its master's fingers each time it was to be passed on as a native coin. Oh, man. I cannot help it, but think of this in terms of being misunderstood. It's one of the most painful things to be misunderstood, to be taken for one thing when you're not that thing, for one kind of person when you really aren't that person. You're made in a very particular way, with particular gifts. And then there's the way that people might use you or expect things from you. 
and it's often really not fair, but it's an experience that a lot of us have. And I think there are various ways to deal with this. Uh, sometimes trying to over-explain yourself doesn't help because people might not be listening. Uh, sometimes under-explain yourself, well, there, there are problems there too. I think of this one experience I had. Um, there was a speaker at a public forum and he picked out picked me out in a, in this in the crowd and in front of everyone said look at Duncan he's a heretic. I can't even remember the the larger point the guy was trying to make, but the fact that he pointed me out and just said I'm a heretic. It, well, it really hurt and it took me a while to figure out exactly why it hurt. It's it's not because um, I haven't occasionally veered off the theological path that some people would take to be orthodox. Although, I mean, in my first podcast on this podcast, that's one of the things I talk about is, you know, what's orthodox to one person is heretical to another person. And sometimes it's not that clear what is heretical. What I realized, though, is the really painful thing was not being called a heretic. That is, oh, whatever, that's not that, that big a deal. The real issue was that this man, who was largely a stranger to me, had assumed that he'd actually understood exactly what I stood for, which he hadn't, it turns out. And I think there's always a risk, just by being yourself and doing what you do, that people are going to fail to get what you're about. But their misunderstanding of you is never the whole story about you. You know this, of course, but it's good to be reminded. Um, in fact, that's what a misunderstanding is by definition. It's a failure to understand your story. Um, it's a failure to understand what you're about. So this will no doubt affect you. It affects me a great deal sometimes to be misunderstood. And it's something that the Schilling articulates really well as the story continues. What a wretched Schilling I am, he said. What good is my silver to me or my value or my stamp if these things are not considered worthy. The world gives you only such value as it chooses. It must really be dreadful to have a bad conscience and to sneak about in the path of evil if I, who am quite innocent, can feel so wretched just because I have my looks against me. I wasn't planning to stop here, but I think I should. There's this really great um, point that the coin is making. It's terrible to, to be misjudged, but it's worse to actually live a bad life. That should be obvious, but it's worth reiterating. And then he continues, Each time they brought me out, I shuddered at the thought of the eyes that would glare at me because I knew I would be rejected and flung back on the counter like a liar and a fraud. One time I came into the hands of a poor old woman who received me as wages for a hard day's toil and labor, and she couldn't get rid of me at all. Nobody would accept me, and I was a real worry to the old woman. I shall certainly have to fool someone with this shilling, she said, for I can't afford to keep a false shilling. I'll pass him on to the rich baker. He'll be able to stand the loss better than I can. But still it is an injustice I will be doing. What a weight I must be on that woman's conscience too, sighed the shilling. Am I really changed so much in my old age? And the woman went to the rich baker, but he knew the current shillings too well to accept me. I was thrown back into the woman's face, and she got no bread for me. And I felt grieved that I should be the cause of trouble to others. I, who in my young days had been so proud of my value and the soundness of my coinage. I was as melancholy as a poor shilling can be, whom no one will accept. But the woman took me home, looked at me earnestly with kindly friendly eyes, and said, No, I won't deceive anyone with you. 
I will bore a hole through you so everyone can see you're false. And yet, a thought just occurs to me, perhaps you are a lucky shilling. Yes, I believe you are. I have such a strong feeling about it. I will make a hole through the coin, pass a string through it, and then give it to the neighbor's little child to hang around her neck as a good luck shilling. And so that's what she did. She drilled a hole right through me. It certainly isn't very pleasant to have a hole bored through you, but you can stand many things when you know the intentions are good. A thread was passed through the hole, and I was hung around the child's neck like a kind of medal. The child smiled at me and kissed me, and all that night I slept on its warm, innocent breast. So that's what happens. The, the shilling gets a hole drilled through it. The hole, of course, is a fantastic symbol of the lack in the shilling that others see. It symbolizes the stuff in you and me that others perceive to be a kind of ontological deficit, a kind of lack of being. Or maybe there's a lack in ourselves that we have assumed to be the truth of who we are. We've got to be really careful about that. Um, but what I love in this story is this moment when the, this woman looks at this shilling with kind eyes and decides that this is a lucky shilling. It's an amazing moment. The shilling becomes lucky. I think that there's a lot to be said for this, but it's this idea that your attitude towards being can change being itself. The way that you perceive things is always a powerful determinant of what is real for you. It's not that you determine the fullest reality itself, but you are always instrumental in, in determining what, in what way reality opens up for you. And I think it also, this idea of this woman seeing this lucky coin, suddenly seeing the coin as lucky, is this message that um, the book of James covers, which is this idea that love covers a multitude of sins. Love is what assumes the very best of the other, not blindly, but knowingly. We love people with their faults, not despite them. And in this experiencing of love, not just the love of God, but also the love of others and of being itself, it's in this experience that we're able to feel whole, even with our holes. So the story carries on. Next morning, the child's mother took me up and looked at me and had another idea about me. I could feel that immediately. She brought out a pair of scissors and cut the string. A lucky shilling, she cried. We'll see about that. Then she soaked me in vinegar until I turned quite green, puttied up the hole, rubbed me a little and that evening took me to the lottery collector to buy a lottery ticket that would make her fortune. How utterly unhappy I felt. There was a stinging inside of me as if I were going to break in half. I knew that I should be called false and thrown away, and before a crowd of other coins too, who lay there proud of their inscriptions and faces. But I escaped that time, for there were many people in the collector's office. He was very busy, so I rattled into the box with the other coins. I don't know if my ticket won anything or not, but I do know that the very next morning I was recognized as a bad coin and sent out to deceive again and again. That is a very trying thing to endure when you have a good character, and this I cannot deny that I have. Okay, let's hit pause there again. I think this maybe, you know, this edges towards a bit of the self-righteous, this coin really acknowledges I am of good character, but in a way, I mean, in the story, it makes perfect sense. He hasn't in himself done anything wrong. This is a story much more about what happens to us than about our own agency. I think it is very helpful to make a distinction, as the shilling does, between what others think of you and who you really are.
I think the, the next step is to actually make a distinction between who you really are and who you think you are, because I think that those two are maybe not always in alignment. So let's carry on. And this is the last bit before we uh, close off. For years and days I wandered this way from house to house, from hand to hand, always rebuked, always unwelcome. Nobody believed me, and finally I lost confidence in the world and myself. Those were hard times. One day a traveller arrived and naturally I was passed on to him and he was courteous enough to accept me as good but when he tried to pass me on again I heard once more the cry that coin's no good it's false. Um, stopping here also wasn't planning to but I think there's a really good uh, point to be made here. We often conform to the realities that others place on us. This is a really, I mean, in some sense, this is what growing up is. It's trying to figure out your place in the world. But there is a point where you might bend yourself a little too much to fit in. And so what this coin has in, in fact done is he's taken on the mindset that other people have kept on pushing onto him, which is the mindset that he is really in himself useless and without genuine value. And obviously, that is something that we need to be very careful about um, as we walk through the world. So I'll continue. I accepted it as genuine, said the man, and looked closely at me. Then he smiled all over his face. Never before had a face looked like that after a close examination of me. Why, what's this? He said, that's a coin from my own country, a good, honest shilling from home that someone has bored a hole through and called false. Now, that's a strange coincidence. I'll just keep it and take it home with me. There's a fantastic shift here. There's this guy who perceives that the coin is false within the context that it is, but he also sees where it is real. A thrilling glow of joy shot through me when I heard him call me an honest shilling. Now I would go home where each and everyone would know me and realize that I was a good silver coin and that I bore a genuine stamp. I felt like throwing out sparks of happiness. But after all, it isn't my nature to throw out sparks. That's something for steel to do, not silver. So great. So the, the way that the silver coin actually realizes uh that its being is to be a silver shilling, not to be some, some other sort of substance. I was wrapped up in a clean white piece of paper so that I wouldn't be mixed up with the other coins and be lost. And only on special occasions, when people from my own country got together, was I shown around. And they said nice things to me. They thought I was interesting. And it's surprising how interesting you can be without saying a single word. So at last I was home again. All my troubles were over. And I was happy again, for I was made of good silver and had the genuine stamp. I had no more misery to endure, even though a hole had been bored through me as if I were false. That doesn't matter if you're not really false. Just wait for the end and everything will come out all right. That's my firm belief, said the shilling. And that is the end of the story. And I think it points out in this last section just how profound it is to be recognized. Recognition, I think, is in some sense the center of, of, ethical, uh, of ethical behavior. Uh, Levinas' idea of the face-to-face -face relation is something that I'm reminded of here. It's about being seen and known truly and, and to be known as valuable. It's really a wonderful experience when others see you for who you really are.
it's a pretty decent mantra to keep in your mind. Everything will come out all right in the end, and it's it's decent. But maybe a better thing to do is to look out for how goodness is already right now shining through all things. How in the midst of everything, even despite all the terrible things, um, can we locate the goodness of being? This is an echo of something that Thomas Aquinas says, which I really like. He says that being as such is good. It's not that everything that happens is good, but being itself remains good despite the bad things that happen. It's not, you know, being is never ontologically evil. It is always good. It's just that there are things that happen and ways that people act that uh, move towards non-being. And I think our job is to reclaim the good of being, to reclaim it and rebuild it like the, that man did when he noticed what the, the shilling was really about, that he noticed it was a real silver shilling. So there you have a brief exegesis of a fairy tale, and I really hope you enjoyed it. Um, I think that's one of the great things about fairy tales is they they spark all sorts of ways to look at the world that I think are very valuable, even if, you know, sometimes fairy tales can be a little odd. So, yeah, I hope that the fairy tale sparked some ideas for you and uh, that even, even ideas you weren't necessarily familiar with before. Thanks very much for listening in. You are very welcome to support this podcast at patreon.com forward slash unorthodoxy. I would be most grateful for your support. Those of you who do already support me, you guys are, are amazing. Um, I really appreciate you. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.